Hello and welcome to the Worst Movies We Own podcast. This is my beautiful wife, Natalie. And I am Bobby. This episode, we have watched... Terminator Salvation. From what year, Natalie? 2009. And with what special guest? The lovely Stuart Laws. Natalie, why don't you tell the people at home what the Worst Movies We Own podcast is all about? So Bobby and I are married, we watch a lot of films together and we've decided to watch the worst DVDs we own according to the ratings these films have received on the website Letterboxd. Some we've seen before, some we haven't. We've not bought any of the DVDs specifically for the podcast. It's a mixture of random stuff included in box sets, charity shop gambles and films we've bought that other people just don't enjoy. We'd like to find some treasures amongst these low rated films so we're watching each one with an open mind hoping for the best. Lovely stuff. Now, we did say at the end of last episode we were going to do Wonder Woman 1984. We lied. We did lie about Wonder Woman 84 um, because we had a special guest jump in yes. and do an episode with us. So we saved Wonder Woman and that'll be the next episode we're going to do. Yeah. Because this episode we watched Terminator Salvation. Not yeah. the first time we've covered a Terminator <laughs> no. franchise. Won't be the last time probably we've covered a Terminator um. franchise. Which is a shame. I don't know why people have kind of got it in for the Terminator franchise because... It's worst episodes aren't worse than any other franchise's worst entries. Hate is going to hate. That is true. That is true. What do you think of Terminator Salvation? What, you want spoilers? Yeah. Spoilers for what's to come. Well, you, you, you know, when, when, when we talk to Stuart, we're going to mainly hear from him. So. Yeah, that's true. I hated it. Yeah? Yeah, I really, I, I found it just boring from uh, tits to teeth and I will never watch it again. Oh my. <laughs> uh, what was the plot of it? So it's 2018, mm -hmm. I believe. Uh, no, it's, it's 2022. Uh, oh, why? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so in, in the, the film, film, yeah. It's 2018. Mm. Judgment Day has happened on, in a different year from what we're used to, but whatever. Um, and the machines are winning the war. The Resistance hits on a plan to destroy Skynet's central signalling system. Mm -hmm. Uh, and they charge their top man, John Connor, with the task. He finds out that the site that he's supposed to blow up is full of human prisoners, including his future daddy, uh, Kyle Reese. And he goes rogue to save them before exploding the place. And he is helped by a suspicious bland man who is harbouring a shiny metal secret. That's a lovely plot description. Thank you. It was really good there. Uh, but because we've covered Terminator before, we decided not to do it by ourselves. Yeah. We decided to do it with one of uh, the funniest people we know, one of the most confident people we know. <laughs> mm -hmm. The man has got uh, bags of confidence. Mm -hmm. Stuart Laws. Yeah. He's a filmmaker himself. He has his own production company, Turtle Canyon Media, which make everything from short films to viral videos to mini series to stand-up specials for comedians. So if you've ever watched any kind of British comedy uh, away from the mainstream of, say, the BBC, then chances are you've seen something Stuart Laws has been involved in. And I think he even has done some work for the BBC as well. So Netflix, he's a renaissance man when it comes to comedy. Mm -hmm. He He's got his uh, fingers in a lot of different little pies. He's also someone I really appreciate as a friend. Aww. And I think the reason why is uh, I don't make friends that easily. Mm -hmm. I don't go out looking for friends. I don't encourage friendships. I'm mm -hmm. kind of happy with my little circle of friends. And most friendships that kind of add on to that are organic. Yeah. They happen very accidentally. But Stuart Law's kind of wooed me. Oh. He kind of wooed me. He invited me over to his house for Sunday dinners. 
and so we could watch things like Boardwalk Empire and Falling Skies and my Hawaii 5.0 together and I really appreciated someone making that much effort to have me in their life. That's so sweet. Yeah, he's a good guy. And he's a, he is a lovely person as he well. He is a lovely person. He's a bit of a trickster. If you've never listened to Stuart Laws before, talk, you might think, oh, he keeps them on their toes in this podcast. Mm -hmm. But he, he's a really, really good guy. Should we do a, little, a couple of facts and figures about Terminator Salvation and uh, then see... Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So, so even when we've got a guest, there's, there's no escape in the facts and figures. I mean, if you want it, you, your job's done. <laughs> <The room. laughs> you, you can head off. Uh, I'll read the facts and figures now. Okay. Terminator Salvation came out in 2009. It's directed by Mac G and mm. it stars Christian Bale, Sam Worthington, Anton Yelchin, Bryce Dallas Howard, Moonblood Goods and Michael Ironside. And you kind of get little glimmers of Linda Hamilton and Arnold Schwarzenegger uncredited. Yeah, but if you watch the film for either of those last two, you are going to be sorely disappointed. That is true. It had a budget of 200 million and around the world it made 371 million, which kind of means it wasn't exactly a massive money maker the way these things make. They, it's not 170 million of profit. When, well, that, I've done the maths and it is exactly that. No, <laughs> That's no, no. how it works. In, in terms of what the, studio, the people who made it get back. But that 200 million is one of the biggest ever budgets for an independent film. Now, I know it's not an independent film like something John Cassavetes would make, <laughs> but it's an independent film in that it wasn't made by a studio. Oh, okay. So it was an investment firm, I think, who took over the rights. It has an internet movie database score of 6.3, which is on Internet Movie Database, the lowest rated of the Terminator films. Right. And on Letterboxd, it is 2.4, which is why we're covering it at this moment. Yeah. So let's leap right into Stuart, talk a little bit about other movie stuff. In fact, it's, yeah, I think we have quite a kind of a twisting conversation. We don't talk to about anything but Terminator Salvation. Yeah. During the podcast, he really tries to avoid it because <laughs> <laughs> he is just a little prankster. Stuart Laws, hello. Hello. Welcome to the Worst Movies We Have podcast. Uh, lovely to have you on. You are probably our first film professional Ooh. that we've had on the podcast. So we've had comedy people on before, which mm. you are. You're a very good comedian, big fan. And you're a friend. Yes. But big you're fan. also somebody who works, works in on set, doing things, filming stuff, creating stuff. That's true. At the at the prestigious Pinewood Studios. That's right. I've been to I've been to your offices in Pinewood Studios. They're very nice. Um, I think we've moved probably a couple of places since you were last there, to be honest. Oh, have they given you like the 007 stage or something? Yeah, we've, we've taken that over entirely, and uh, I can officially reveal now who the new Bond is. Oh, who is it? Is it? It's me. Oh, brilliant. That is, <laughs> to be honest, great casting, and you've got a couple of years in you, which is good. Thank you. Do you know that uh, Daniel Craig was my exact age when he was in Casino Royale? That's, that's amazing. You've got the same kind of... Uh, Youthful but grizzled look. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You've seen some things. Yeah. If I was to shave properly, <laughs> I would look like a child who's seen some awful shit. <laughs> How do you shave? I just, I've just got a, a beard trimmer, so I just go down to sort of a stubble and then let it, let it drift for a week and then go back down. Yeah, very similar. Very yeah. similar, Natalie. I just, I, I 
have no idea. I don't <laughs> you don't shave your face, face, do you? No, I don't shave my face. There we go. There we go. Um, very excited to have you on because we've gone to the cinema and seen movies with you before. Yeah. So you're someone we've uh, experienced movies with previously. Uh, and I'm quite excited to have like a, a formal chat with you, Stuart, because I think we're quite good friends. Yeah. Uh, but there's parts about you and your life that I'm not sure about. Uh, and we're not going to do like a big biographical discussion, but I realised today, thinking about us talking, there's, even though we spent a lot of time together as friends and in comedy, there's certain things that I don't know. Is that true about Stuart Laws? From stuff I've said on stage. Like, for example, you do lots of routines about being colourblind. I realised, is he colourblind? I'm not sure. He could just be pulling everyone's leg. That's true. And the problem is, is that I, so many things, things that I say on stage when I do say stuff that is absolutely is true people do go ah he's probably doing one of them lies again like the like the vasectomy or playing for a Christian football team or being colorblind in my mind all these things are true yeah they're all true good I thank you <laughs> relief okay because there's times we've talked about serious things and I thought ah but maybe he's still this like kind of like Christian Bale methods. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And staying in the park. <laughs> I like, like what... an ambush now that you've just yeah. got Stuart on to tear apart all of his routines. We've done 58 episodes of this podcast. <laughs> literally <laughs> so we can get to the point where we can get Stuart Laws vulnerable so I can ask him a very specific question <laughs> to prove whether he's colourblind or not. I'm going to ambush him with it. He's not even going to see it coming. Which has got colour is. different colours. Yeah. <laughs> For example, right now, uh, Egypt and Senegal are playing in the Africa Cup of Nations uh, mm -hmm. final. They're playing in, I believe, green and red kits. Yeah. Chaos. <laughs> so you, we don't have your full attention at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> it's gone to a penalty shootout, so I'll just occasionally have a little look over and see if Salah has scored. Okay, fair enough. If, I'm if supporting Senegal you, there. If there's an uproarious cheer... I'm yeah. going to think it's because you're just remembering a great moment from Terminator Salvation. Yeah, I, so I, I doubt it will be that. Okay, okay. Well, let's get started with um, some of our questions. Then. We're going to have a chat in a minute about um, you and film and your tastes and get a mm. picture of, of uh, what you like and you don't like. But before we do, is there anything about Terminator Salvation that you just cannot wait to get off your chest? Y yes. And it is. <laughs> <laughs> I. He's going to be hard work, isn't he? <laughs> I went into it excited. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, obviously, I'm a massive Terminator fan. Yeah. I stand by a lot of Terminator Three, and I thought to myself, "This is great. This is exciting that they've actually pushed and gone into the future properly, and we're taking place during that war." Here we go. So we're That's talking great. about Stuart Law's going to cinema in 2009 to see this right now. Was it 2009 that it came out? Yeah. Mm. Fucking hell. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. 2009. I feel like that isn't true. It's definitely true. Do you, do, you, do you think it came out more recently than that? Or? Yeah. More recently in my head. No, it's 2009. He'd just done, just done his first Batman and this was his next thing. Moving on. Fucking hell, I did not know that at all. Well, well done, Christian. For that. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was excited going to the cinema, uh, having seen the trailers and sort of, you know, 
geared up for like, right, well, Terminator 3, everyone says it's rubbish, but I quite liked it. But fine, they're going in a new direction. I can't wait to see what they're going to do with it. And uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, like, we get, should we leave it there as a cliffhanger? Because, you know, it could go either way. I mean, I've got a feeling I know which way it's going. I, I didn't know whether or not you want me to reveal at this point sort of thoughts on it. I know that the podcast, you know, is worst movies we own. Yeah. But... Yeah, but I mean, it, the thoughts don't always correspond with the actual uh, people of Letterbox thoughts. But I, th- I think maybe we just put a pin in, in that. And Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I know that you're quite a big fan of the Terminator franchise. We even went to see Terminator 2 at the Prince Charles for one of your yes. birthdays. My 30th. Yeah. yeah, and and Terminator Two means so much to people. I'm more like a Terminator One guy, even though Terminator Two, you know, I still think it's a great movie. Uh, of all the kind of sequels, which one's your favourite post Terminator Two? It's still to uh, oh, actually no, uh, Dark Fate. Yeah, Dark, yeah. Dark Fate kind of pulled it back. I think it's a shame. That so many people have given up on the franchise. Yes. Because Tark is particularly good. Yeah. But I think I've got a little bit of time for all of them, apart from maybe Rise of the Machines. That's the one that wow. I'm dreading watching again. I like Rise of the Machines. Great ending. Great ending. Amazing ending. It's kind of Terminator 2, as done by the Naked Gun people, in my memory. <laughs> yeah, that is the problem with it. it totally... The thing is, when we went and watched T2, and the... I'd never seen it in a cinema. Mm. So I'd only ever watch T2 with, you know, by myself or maybe with one friend. Mm. When you see it in a cinema with a load of people who love it, you realise how funny a film it is. Yes. Mm. Yeah. And that it's, was quite exciting. Yeah. It was definitely, Arnie had, Arnie had realised that his, his secondary strength was comedy. Yeah. And uh, the problem with that was, as the 90s went on, he, he was really along the lines of, yeah, but we could put even more comedy into it. And you're kind yeah. of going, no, no, no. It was like a nice little bonus how good you are at comedy. You don't, we didn't really expect you to become the next kind of Steve Martin. Yeah, or, yeah. <laughs> or Groucho Marx. Okay, should we have a, a little chat then about um, your film tastes? Yeah. A bit more generally. Okay. Um, so we'll start off with one question about your favourite films. Um, what would you say your overlooked favourites are? Films that you love? that aren't really considered classics by anyone else? Well, I know that it, it sort of is... It, it, it's not that it's not viewed as that by anyone else, but I think the film Unbreakable is a masterpiece. Great fucking movie. And I don't think... It, I think it gets the respect it deserves from some people, but majority of people are just like, oh, yeah, it's Shyamalan who sort of did that sort of does his little twisty films and moves on whereas I think Unbreakable is a proper serious drama hidden in like a suspense comic book sort of twisty tale yeah I, I love Unbreakable um, it mean, it's the reason why I always go back to Shyamalan even though he is very variable as a director yes. and has tropes and uh, motifs that I don't particularly like in his films but Unbreakable is the reason why I've stuck with him over the years yeah Exactly. And, you, you know, even going to um, Glass, like, lots of stuff wrong with that movie, potentially, you could say. But the first half hour of it or so, where it was just exploring David Dunn, just going about solving crimes and stuff like that, I was like, yes, this is exactly, this is the great stuff. I love it. 
are you a fan of the legacy sequel the sequel that happens so much further later than the original that in a way it's nice to see everyone back again yeah this is a thing in general when people are like you have that with remakes and all of that people complain a lot of the time i'm just like look you don't have to go and see the film so if you don't like that sort of thing you just don't have to see it but if you do like that sort of thing it's a great chance to go along. Like the new scream was was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, mm. yeah, and so I, cool to see all the gang sort of back together as much as possible. Yeah, I'm I'm a firm believer in just because something's average or slightly above average and doesn't live up to the stature of the classic and your emotions and feelings towards it doesn't mean it's invalid. And I like your Terminator Genesis and the Thing, the Thing, and yeah. all those kind of films that aren't particularly loved, but kind of take me into that world again i like crystal skulls i like you know <laughs> there's there's very few franchise entries that have any kind of nasty feelings towards i think independence day resurgence didn't didn't do it for me but in general i don't mind like another spin on the roulette wheel if i get a chance to see some actors return um that's it it's, it's the chance to see those characters see those actors sort of doing that sort of thing again i like that that i think you're right with resurgence it didn't it, it felt it felt so absent from the original it just didn't feel part of the same world, really. I know that they did lots of little bits here and there, but it just all felt sort of... It didn't feel like it was put together with love. It was like, right, let's do it, and we can coast off of that. Fine, there were some nice moments. But um, uh, even with Genesis, which is a terrible film, there were still loads of fun bits to it where suddenly it's like, oh, yeah, because it's just spiking that sort of nostalgia thing or taking you into a different view of the world that you've sort of enjoyed and grown up with yeah very very much i i always find this very extreme reaction to uh, a classic example might be kind of alien 3 or ghostbusters 2 the sequel not being as good as the original but they're still really fun films i, yeah. I really don't understand how you could look at those films and go i don't want to enjoy that ride again yeah exactly any other overlooked faves right Whew. okay i like 30 days of night yeah yeah i, I really enjoy it josh hartner vampires yeah. Oh, yeah, that's, that's uh, melissa george yeah, yeah. It's, it's by david slade who makes quite a nice nasty film yeah that's the thing about it it feels nasty mm. and there's a lot of sort of cruel stuff going on in it uh and i just i just love the um the atmosphere of those sort of films that take place at the end of the world sort of vibe. Yeah. Um, Completely cut off the isolation and all that. And that's why I thought the new um, Dexter series was so good as well, because it had that sort of sense of just being its own little world, you know, um, separate to, to what had previously gone on. Speaking of good horror TV, have you watched Yellow Jackets yet? Yeah. So good. Mm, we're, we're still we're a few episodes from the finish but uh, yeah, boy. real highlight of uh, watching the old box sets mm-hmm. yeah it's really good it's got real lost vibes to it it's got loads of other great bits to it obviously the nostalgia stuff kicking in for the mid 90s yeah do you find you're a bit nitpicky with the nostalgia occasionally you go oh that's actually a few years later than what they know about or I think that it, seems a little bit too cool for these kids I think it's perfectly pitched for me because I I don't think I was old enough to have that awareness and memory. Okay. Does <laughs> that make you feel really old? It does make you feel a little bit old. You, okay, you've got just a couple of years on me, but like I think though those are like crucial years because by ninety six I was I was twelve, 
Mm-hmm. Whereas I think so there you're not really taking in culture as as much as you sort of would normally. Yeah, when I, when I was twelve, I was I was very much into Aerosmith in the from the seventies rather right. than anyone current or new. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, yeah. I I am a little bit older than you. I wouldn't be able to be the new James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> and the other, uh, not overlooked again because it sort of was Oscar nominated, but again I feel like it's a film that sort of sort of disappeared, has sort of exited the conversation a little bit. Is uh, the film Constant Gardener. Mm, Excellent film. film, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. The way it's shot is so beautiful. The acting is incredible. Um, I really, really like it. And the performances from Vice and Fines are so good. It's extraordinary. It seems very much like we park our cars in the same garage. You've got excellent taste in movies, especially overlooked or underappreciated movies. They would all make my list as well. Well, let's see, because the next question could change everything okay <laughs> so we, we've talked a bit about films that you've loved um mm-hmm. what films have you seen and hated okay what i have to be i you have to be careful with this sort of stuff i don't generally hate films i love sort of going to the cinema and i will happily watch a really bad film in the cinema just because I'm just like, great, I'm glad to be here. It's sort of, mm-hmm. I love the whole experience. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a certain director that I think uh, they direct comedy and uh, I think that they are often the worst things, the worst thing about their comedy films, which are otherwise good, very, very funny films. And there's like an argument with comedy of like, some people are like, yeah, the directing you know, you can do all these cool little extra bits and things like that, and it will it makes the comedy even better. Uh, and then there's people, I would say I'm on the, the other end, where I think that the key thing with comedy is just about pacing and seeing reactions to dialogue and things happening. So I much prefer very straightforward sort of setups of, you know, a two-shot where you get characters stood alongside each other and you can see their reactions to the dialogue and everything that's happening rather than sort of punching in for close-ups and then cutting to like someone, you know, having a drink and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so like the It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia way of filming comedy, I think is 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 up there with the best ways to film comedy is sort of keep it simple, let the dialogue and let the actors make it work. Are you going to reveal who the director is you don't like, or do you want us to have a couple of guesses? No, I'm going to, we can just leave it at that, I think. Okay, that's fair enough. Cool. Yeah. I like also, It Chapter Two. Okay. <laughs> Fuck. Um, that was so long, man. Yes, that, that, that was a big problem with I think it's just a problem with lots of films now. I think my, my personal conspiracy theory of why big films are so long now is it takes more data for them to download. And therefore, maybe instead piracy doesn't work quite so well if the film's three hours long rather than two hours long. Because I can't see studios going, we want one less screening of this a day for every blockbuster they make. So there must be some some other reason why three hours has become the default setting for most big films now, when none of them need to be. Yeah, I... Again, though, this is a situation where sometimes where I will watch a film which is like that long and I'll just be like, yeah, no, actually, I'm really enjoying it. Like Nightmare Alley recently. Yeah. Mm. I think, because I think when you've watched a lot of films and when you've made films, you sort of start to get an idea 
in your head of how if you you know when you're getting near the landing the ending mm-hmm. you feel like you know the plane's about to land um and in nightmare alley i was like i don't have any clue which part of the script we're at like are we are we still in the second act are we, have we has the third act sort of twist happened like is is this, is this building to a conclusion and then suddenly it just all happens in about 10 minutes yeah you you felt the same way didn't you yeah well at the, at the end i thought yeah. that was the beginning of act three uh and i thought we, we had a lot left to go and and that's not taking away anything from how i felt about the film i absolutely loved it yeah um, same here. but yeah I, I would have happily sat through another hour um of an act three yeah without spoiling anything about nightmare alley for people who haven't watched it yet because we know it's quite a new film but in the first five ten minutes you know exactly where it's headed but it's the route it takes to get there is the mystery as yeah. such yeah and uh it's absolutely fascinating i think it's the best film he's done in all I, honesty. I really loved it and there's a, a moment you know when um kate blanchett puts down the uh the whiskey glass on the big mm-hmm. wooden table and yeah. they do a close-up of that the sound design on that was so beautiful I mean, the and whole you, film looks stunning, but like that moment, I was just like, oh, I can it, feel it. It's that. almost like she's putting a chess piece down, but it's checkmate. I've beaten yes. one. Yeah. yeah. Watch the rest of the game play out now because you're not going to give up, but I've won on this move. That's, that's really good stuff, Bobby. Okay. We'll go on to the next question. Um, so, who are the movie stars who are your secret and shameful, not necessarily shameful, but they can be crushes? This is a difficult one to think of because I don't think that sort of my crushes are shameful, particularly. I've, you know, you've got your classics, you've got your Cameron Diaz's, you've got your Kirsten Dunst's, you've got your Ewan McGregor in Moulin Rouge. Like they're all good, solid. Yeah. No one would argue with you. So then I was like, what would be shameful? I do have one which I have discussed on uh, Brett's podcast, Films to be Buried With. Yeah, I've listened to that, but I don't remember who you said. So. So we'll go to that one in a second. I'll bring up what would be, I guess, uh, would be Ariana Richards. Oh, from Jurassic Park? Yeah. Yeah, because you were a little boy and she was a little girl. I've got yeah, some yeah, of yeah. Anna Chomsky from my girl. Oh, yes. yeah. yeah. Um, and definitely when she was in um, Lost World, it was like, ha ha, she, she's, she's grown up. And I, I'm also older as well now. Maybe we'll go out. <laughs> did it happen no uh, not yet <laughs> no <laughs> um whereas yeah I, and i guess dunst sort of has it has that and i guess i think me and her are the same sort of age ish maybe she's a couple of years older yeah you, but you've grown up together but you've always been the same age as her in films as you've got along so yeah yeah, yeah. and you know she's watching my stand-up comedy specials thinking this guy's getting old at the same rate i am <laughs> Now, my shameful one, I guess, is a character, not really the actor. So it's in the Bourne Supremacy, which I think the Bourne trilogy, quadrilogy, or quintilogy, if you count uh, the legacy. legacy one. Yeah. Um, Again, a perfectly reasonable spin-off slash yeah. attempt to read yeah. the series. Some really good scenes in it. Lots of lots of good bits. I don't mind finding it going. I like the idea of spin-offs that are just like. You know this tiny little bit in that film that you liked? We're going to spin out a film on that. Mm. Like, I would love to see uh, a spin-off film 
uh, from the film Eraser, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger from 1996, mm-hmm. uh, about the zookeeper who looks after the crocodile enclosure. He's going to be so disappointed when he turns up the next day, isn't he? <laughs> He's going to be so sad. Is it going to be like a revenge film? No, I think it's going to be a touching sort of um, drama where it, it, it all builds up. So like the third act opens with him getting there the next day and just seeing his was crocodile, now luggage, strewn over the, the ground. <laughs> uh, a, a, a beautiful pitch that I reckon you might get away with making. I'm sure the radio's <laughs> probably got a, more IP value than some other things that they're rebooting at the moment. Uh, but we're, let's stop avoiding it. What, who was your, who's your shameful crush? Okay, so at the end of uh, The Born Supremacy, uh, Oksana Akinshina plays the character of Irina Nesky. I'm sure this, I've pronounced that wrong. Yeah, of, this is the girl who appears in um, the Swedish films like... Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, now, she plays the daughter of, uh, I think, uh, Vladimir Nesky. Yeah. And um, Vladimir Nesky, uh, to his daughter, she thinks that he was killed by her mother and then her mother turned the gun on herself because that was what was the cover-up that was done. But the truth was that Jason Bourne uh, assassinated them both as part of some wider espionage plot. And so at the end of the film, he's been trying, basically it reveals he's been trying to get to her um, because he wants to tell her the truth um, now that he's reformed. So at the end of the film, she it focuses on her coming home. You haven't met her at this point. Um, she goes into her apartment and she's a university student now and he's there waiting for her and he tells her the story and she's scared and sad and he's like I I would want to know and then he leaves her there and she's sort of sad but now has a different perspective she knows that her mom didn't kill her dad and kill herself so yeah I fancy her yeah but the character not the actress the character, because this is the thing, because it, and I'm the the big the the tumult in my brain is, do I fancy her because she's sort of you know fit and is off at university and is independent and living her life, or do I fancy her because she's troubled and I want to go and help her? Oh, yeah. That's that's problematic, isn't it? Yeah, yeah but, but either way, you sound good. Yeah. <laughs> But like kind of most movies, that woman would find the love of a man or woman and have their problems resolved. But she is just left there in limbo, isn't she, at the end? Yeah. You know, Moscow council state flat. And that's what the beautiful thing about that film is. That's an action film that came out and everyone's like, oh, my God, we're going to have all these fights. And it has the Moscow car chase and all of that. But Amazing the whole film, chase. the heart of it is 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 him revealing that and sort of the significance of that. And that's how the film is left. It's so good. Mm. I think you know, the the Bourne series, because it has such strong emotional points and the action is excellent, but it, that's one of the reasons why it's kind of uh, considered one of the best franchises. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if we get another Matt Damon, Jason Bourne film. Because... I would like that. Also, because he, he's older now, his uh, his body in Bourne, the fourth, mm-hmm. his fourth one. Oh, yeah, my Jason goodness Bourne. me. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness me. That guy is gotten big yeah I, I, i'm surprised they could fit armor on him in the uh, the last duel <laughs> yeah exactly this guy 
Matt Damon is hench as hell now. That didn't mean you could play sort of burly um, truck driver or construction worker or whatever he played in that Still French water. film. Still was so, yeah. yeah. He kind of covered it up with jackets. Yeah, but you can tell that he works on the demolition crews. Yeah. And stuff. Yeah. Cool. Um, so what kind of movies did you watch when you were growing up? And what was your movie watching experience as a child? Were you a cinema goer or a blockbuster fan? Well, we didn't get to go to the cinema very much as a family. Like the first film I went to see in the cinema, I was 10, which was The Mask. I feel that's quite old to be your first cinema visit. Um, but as soon as I could cycle to the cinema, which is probably about a 20, 25 minute cycle away, uh, I would just go there as much as possible. So that, well, I think we're talking from like summer of 97, 98 onwards. Um, and then, yeah, I would just go to the, to the cinema by myself. I'd take my passport when I when I turned 15 so that I could prove that I was 15 because I looked like a tiny little child. Did you get into 15s before, Ben, or was it a case no. of 15? Written? No, okay. That's Absolutely it. no way I'd get in. 12s, I would think I would have struggled. Right. Before the 12A came in. Um, and, for yeah, for me, uh, as a kid, I got to watch, like, the Arnie films and things like that because my dad would tape them off TV and so he would stay up and watch them when they're on TV and then he'd pause the recording if it got too graphic and then resume the recording once the graphic stuff had finished. So, like, I didn't know that there was a sex scene in Terminator. <laughs> and that's a crew that's a plot that a lot of, that's a load-bearing sex scene <laughs> the whole franchise pinges on that yeah that, yeah those stolen moments of the motel um so yeah I, I was really into that stuff and really really liked it and then it was um as soon as i could go out to, to stuff by myself it was just absolutely whatever films were on at the two screen cinema that i later worked in as well um and then that would generally be sort of the bigger sort of blockbustery sort of films. Um, but I remember sort of 18 sort of going into London a bit more often to go to sort of like more art house films um, and seeing Battle Royale, maybe mm. I was 17 then. I think actually I, I faked a letter from my school so I could get an, uh, an NUS card that said I was a year older than I was. Yeah. And uh, could get into Battle Royale and see films like that and that was actually a massive thing when I was like sort of probably 19 to 22 really getting into Asian cinema in like really watching as much as I could because I sort of got obsessed with this sort of the the fact that the filmmaking just seemed a bit different and especially the horror films because I'd, I've never been to Asia so, but so the world looked sort of very close to our own world, but slightly different and slightly, you know, more removed. So it, I feel like it enhanced the horror elements. It made like the supernatural stuff feel more like, yeah, that could happen there because I haven't been there. I don't really, I don't really know. Maybe, maybe there are ghosts in Asia. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think we were kind of really lucky and that kind of turn of the millennium point where we seem to get loads of what was called J-horror and then the kind of stuff that was adjacent like your Takashi makes and stuff like that but we got about six years worth of content within two years because some, they, someone realised there was a market for it yes you know, yeah yeah there's a real rush have you seen any films by a guy called and I'm not talking about the, the famous one Kurosawa 
he did he's got films like Cure and Creepy and oh and so a newer Kurosawa. yeah he, he's been working since the mid 90s I think his best one Cure is from the mid 90s but I've only really found out about him over the last couple of years and his films are genuinely like kind of they're quite quite like uh, Parasite director Bong Jong Hoon but yeah he, he's been doing it for years I have not I though I recognize the name of cure of cure yeah. but like yeah it's definitely something that I have fallen out of watching and keeping up to date with as much these days um I remember stuff by like the Pang brothers mm. um really loving all of their stuff and then obviously when Nicolas Cage starred in the remake of Bangkok Dangerous being like hey, I'm gonna watch it <laughs> um and then it, it's films like um Audition obviously it was was huge but films like The Isle and Shiri um yeah uh, yeah Takashi Takashi is that Mike? Or... yeah I'd say Mike, but I yeah I'm never that confident yeah, and the same as the guy who directed the Isle, uh, Kidik Kim. He's yeah, got some really good films, but uh, he died recently. Oh, really? Press. Yeah. Oh, that's that's very sad. Mm. And the other thing is, uh, Dark Water is my up there with my favorite. It's maybe top three favorite horror films. Um, and uh, Memories of Murder is one of my favorite films. That's a great film, Memories of Murder. Yeah. Ooh great it's so good that film because it feels so unusual and weird yeah i i think i think fincher and zodiac kind of took a few notes from memories of murder just like the whole idea of the grind taking quite so long over so many years yes yeah 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 so we're gonna we're gonna talk about terminator salvation now so we'll start off with the positives uh what what did you like about the film me specifically the trailer I really like that. I think the opening is quite strong, to be fair, to it. It sort of sets it up sort of quite coolly, but it also ruins absolutely everything from Terminator 1 and 2. Um, in the... How do you mean? So, basically, they're like, what, who they have, they fight, is it two, three, like, of the T-800 or T-600 models, sort of like the exoskeletons? Yeah, they're they're floating around some kind of installation they land in. Yeah, and so, but they sort of kill them very quickly. And yes. In the first film, it took, you know, hundred minutes plus, uh, you know, a metal crusher, and blocked and blowing it up and all sorts of things to even get close to being able to kill it. And then at the start of this one, like, yeah, we've sort of shot two of them. They're dead. Don't worry about it. And you're just like, oh, right. So there's all the tension gone. The whole point of it is like they're impossible to stop. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we can stop them easily. Mm. But yeah. That is after 40 years of fight. Well, not 40 years of fighting them. They've had some practice by that point, I suppose. Yeah. And maybe the T600 is not as uh, sturdy as a T800. Yes, potentially. I just thought, oh, right. Okay. Like, it just eliminated some of the. Because they look, I don't know what they're doing. They're like, right, we've got our IP, we've got to show these particular robots. But I was like, we'll just have like a wimpier one and then yeah. be like, they're easy to kill. So when these ones come out, you're like, uh oh, I know how difficult these ones are to kill. Yeah, I, I do agree with that. Like, kind of, it's the, it's the alien aliens problem that once uh, you have lots of aliens being killed by Marines, it kind of takes the power slightly away from the alien. Yes. But um, with, with the Terminator, 
I think we were all kind of excited to see Future War and for it to be a lone Terminator chasing them through that landscape probably wouldn't be quite as exciting. No, I guess what I would maybe would want to see is just chuck in a few more people who have like to see like a plan that goes into action to kill that particular model rather than literally just shooting it with a big gun. Yeah. And it's like some sort of guerrilla warfare where you're like, ah, they've worked out tactics to beat these. That's cool. They do kind of do it with Carl Reese's introduction with the other little kids that they've set Home Alone style booby traps to crush that Terminator. He's my, he's my um my high point of the film. Yeah, I, I we ask a question: Who's the Michael Parks of the film? Who's the? I think everyone who's seen Terminator mm-hmm. Salvation knows that Anthony Hopkins was excellent in the film. Yeah. He was a great young Carl Reese, and it's it's not going to be a big debate. <laughs> no. <laughs> Anything else you liked about it? Um, no. <laughs> really? Is it, you feel it's that bad? I think it's the worst of uh, of all of the Terminator sequels. Yeah. Oh, see, that's fair, isn't it? No, no, really no. Like the uh, yeah, Rise of the Machines. I think, I think it's about on a par with Genesis for me. I think the action is actually quite good in Salvation, and if you'd watch it completely detached from the franchise and say it's a sci-fi future war uh, army versus the robots movie, it's quite good. As a Terminator movie, I don't think it particularly works. Um, I wanted from my future war uh, more like unstoppable machines, floors strewn with like skulls, yeah, permanent nighttime, rat kebabs in the yeah. basement, and this is a very different vision of what the resistance would look like. Yeah, that's always the problem I, I find with the the later Terminator films is that it is all so music videoy. A lot of the time, and it, Dark Fate had a little bit of that, but uh, you know, um, it dealt with it so much better. I, it, it never feels brutal enough, and in the trailer, I thought it it looked like it was going to be brutal enough. Yeah, it the trailer did seem to pitch it, if I remember rightly, as like kind of a race against the clock against these Terminators. Yeah, um, and the film we got is far more sunshiny. Yeah, it, it had this sort of grey palette, it sort of had this intensity, and you take Bale's performance in sort of isolation to deliver like trailer lines, and you're like, oh my goodness me, this is going to be so intense, this is going to be huge, I can't believe it, and then it happens, and you're like, yeah, I remember seeing it and just feeling so deeply underwhelmed. See, I tend to find when I watch a Terminator movie at the cinema, no matter how good or bad it is, I'm quite happy with it in the cinema. It's the second or third watch I start going, oh, that doesn't work, I didn't like that. Yeah, no, that's going to that's gonna stop me from rewatching it quite as often as one and two. I would say the same for Genesis, Rise of the Machines and Dark Fate. Enjoyed them in the cinema. Uh, the instant I got out and thought at all about Genesis, I was like, oh yeah, it was awful. Uh, um, and then I rewatched that uh, again sort of recently or rather I watched the first half of it and I was like you know what the first half of this zips along it's really fun yeah um, and then getting the, the Terminator into that like acid trap thing and there's loads of little fun bits where you're like oh and you're seeing like the different angle of stuff that you've seen before great um, but I cannot believe in with that film the trailer they spoiled the reveal of who John that John Connor was a machine yeah. I think they knew it was tracking really badly in terms of what it was going to do at the box office, and they just thought, "Let's put all, let's show all our cards, 
yeah. and try and get people in to try and make it feel like we're doing something different. And they really kind of ruined what would have been quite an exciting word of mouthing of, no, no, I think you probably should see it. This something happens that's quite different. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to be honest, in the film, after that, they don't really do anything interesting with that reveal. That's, Not that's the bigger problem. I always feel so sad when I see trailers that, like, reveal stuff like that, where you just, like, and then you watch the film, and the whole film, you can see the structure of it is designed to tease those elements to you mm. and, and reveal, like, and treat it as a big plot point. And then you're like, no, no, I, I stop teasing this. I know this. I've seen the trailer. Yeah, and it's... The weird thing of back in, say, 1991, we probably saw that Terminator 2 trailer once. It might have been yeah, on the front yeah. of a video or it might have been at the cinema for a film that maybe shouldn't have had a 15 trailer on it, but we saw it once and you'd be very excited about it or it'd be on a TV show, the new Terminator films coming out. Now there's podcasts and YouTube yeah. videos dedicated to just the trailers that are longer than the trailers themselves. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, so these things are picked apart to such a point that you can't avoid knowing what's going to happen in the film before going in. I've become very hermit-like if there's a blockbuster I'm excited about. I won't watch a trailer more than once if I do watch it. And I'm yeah, certainly yeah. going to avoid websites after that point when I know we're in that final week where things will get revealed about what happens in the film. Definitely. I always think just how amazing would it have been to... Um see Jurassic Park, not just literally just someone be like, oh, do you want to come see this film with me and not know anything? Yeah. Because that film is structured so that you are supposed to go on that journey with Alan Grant and like that opening scene, you're not supposed to really know what that animal is that, that they have to shoot. Yes. And so to to have that moment with Alan Grant of like, look, you know, taking your glasses off and looking down and seeing it all would be uh, incredible. Has there, has there ever been a movie where you've gone in completely blind and been blown away by, by just how unexpected what you've went, gone to see has been? That's a very good question. I don't know. I'm looking up at my DVDs right now to see if there's any there that stand out. I know that uh, the film The Hitcher is something that I really love, the, the, the 80s one with Rutger Hauer. And I had no idea on earth what that film was because it was on TV late one night and I got obsessed with it. Yeah, I do um, think that's maybe something that you get less of now, but you kind of, no one's coming to a film 20 minutes in because it happens to be on TV late at night and what you were watching is finished. Yeah, you know, yeah. What is this? This is. Are we even going to find out the title of it? It's great. Uh, whereas now you're, you're selecting things on like Netflix or Disney Plus and turn them off after 10 minutes maybe because they haven't reached your expectations yes. i went to an empire sneak preview sunday morning screening of something called the usual suspects and you know i think it was sold as a stephen baldwin film at the time <laughs> the new stephen baldwin films coming out and it, and it was just amazing like what is this I, well i can't even imagine being selling a movie because it's a Stephen Baldwin film. <laughs> it, it's the guy from Biodome. He, he's starring. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> okay, I think I think we can draw a line under what we liked, um, and and we've already touched on it a bit. But what didn't you like about Terminator Salvation? Okay, well, what I um, I what I don't like is. Uh, for a start, it's it's one of the biggest trailer to final film drop-offs. That's what I 
I love when a film gets you excited, a trailer gets you excited, and they just show you tiny little bits. Um, but yeah, to, to 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 actually get me so invested in it, and then to treat me like that, I think you know, we've got to have we've got to have a word with the filmmakers. Say so it's not okay to treat people like that. Um, what didn't I like? Crucially, is Bale's performance. Mm. Like I think that is the biggest. I think he, he's incredible, and. Uh, I have sometimes seen performances of his and I thought, what's going on there? Why are those choices being made? What's happening? And I know it's put into different light with the, the video of him having a go at the cinematographer. Um, but it just feels like he was just like let off the leash to do what he likes. I agree with that. I think there's a certain degree of Nicolas Cage about Christian Bale that he could be an amazing actor and yet he can also run a film into the ground by going at it at 11. Yes. Uh, and this is probably the worst example. I think he's bad casting as John Connor. Yeah. He looks too well-fed. Too, there's none of like Edward Furlong's kind of ratty, scrappy charm. I know he's been through more since and he's older, but you don't see him as being in any way the same character that you loved 20 years ago. Yeah, no, definitely. And like when we were watching it, obviously there's so many scenes where he's just shouting for no particular reason no at reason. people, down radios. And towards the end, there's a scene where he's running through Skydet and he sees the little mute kid and he just sh- he's never met before. And he just shouts at him like he's a soldier as well. The kid's like kind of got PTSD, completely traumatised. He told, get to the transport! I don't, I don't know whether it's a case of Mac G had no way of directing him. And, you know, that feels understandable because he's not the most respected director in the world. Or whether it's a case of Christian Bale own, gave up on the project a little bit and said, well, I'm only going to do it this way, whether it works or not. Yes, yeah. It feels like that because you look at the actor, the, the performances that he's put in with, very sort of you know more auteur directors mm-hmm. and if they feel very measured and very sort of cohesive as performances and this just you can't work out why it's like that and that's fine if you're if if the film has a bit more bite and is playing john connor as an asshole like a full like asshole ptsd sort of guy who's so unpredictable there's something maybe to be done in that to sort of have this guy who saves humanity who's actually a horrendous person but it doesn't do that it's just like who who is this guy what's going on you can be hard and still likable like sarah connor and yeah terminator too she's 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 so different from the first film but you know there's still she's still just so so admirable and yeah um, I don't remember him saying anything funny in the film. And that's no. Because, you know, that kid is full of catchphrases. <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I think a big problem with it as well, and I don't know if it's in your things you didn't like as well, is Sam Worthington such a blank presence as well. So you've got two leads who are basically big, charmless lunks yeah. carrying a movie. And, it, you know, that, that's, that's really galling. I can kind of... I could kind of live with Christian Bale's off-kilter performance if the other performance counterbalanced it somehow. But 
it's really a case of chalk and chalk. Absolutely. It's, uh, it, it felt like for a while people were desperate to make Sam Worthington happen. He's, he's, he's been in the biggest film ever. Come on. Yeah. Come I mean, on, Lords. Why do you neck him? This man's a proper bona fide A-list star. <laughs> but do you think that if he was above the poster for a movie and there was no, no other stars in it, that it would get an audience? Well, I think Man on Ledge and Raw for the Titans proved he, he can't carry a movie particularly well. So, uh, no. Uh, is, is he back in the Avatar sequels? I'm not sure, actually, yeah. I mean, that definitely fit. I remember, you know, want, wanting to go and see that because it was the first time that it looked like 3D was a proper thing again. Um, and it did. It, I guess it helped us not notice what Sam Worthington was doing in it. I mean, I, I've, I've seen him in things and liked him. And actually, in the trailer, the shots they used of him, you're like, oh, hello, there's, some, there's something dark and something going on here. And then, yeah, you see it in the wider context of the film. You're just like, yep, we've got two white male leads sort of not really doing much. Okay. Yeah. I, talking about the ending a little bit, so spoilers if you haven't seen Terminator Salvation, but do you think they should have killed off Bale or Worthington at the end? Can they do both? I don't know. Obviously, they can do both and just leave it completely in Anthony Optin's hands, which would have been the most sensible option. But perfect, thank you. <laughs> but it, it just seemed weird to you're probably not going to get Christian Bell back for a second film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The keep him alive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But how could you kill off that character? Because he's not done what he was. Well, he has. He, he blew up Skynet in San Francisco, and he saved Carl Reese and taught people about the T-800s, I think. And, he, and his voice set it in, motion. in the kind of John the Baptist-y kind of way talked about the resistance is everyone fighting together. I think he kind of fulfilled his brief. So he's like a messiah figure. Yeah, and if he mm. died taking down Skynet, then, you know, yeah, I, I think the franchise could have quite happily carried on without him at that point. Yeah, I think so. I think, and it would have been an interesting way to go about things and to... Um, you know, to go harder into that future war stuff without John Connor, without this sort of, you know, it's like Jackass 5 might not have Johnny Knoxville in it. Oh, you haven't ruined Jackass 4. He doesn't die at the end, does he? <laughs> he um, has his consciousness transferred. <laughs> I've, I've not seen Jackass forever yet. Very looking forward to it. I've got it booked for Wednesday by myself. It's a masterpiece. Yeah. Uh, and I've got a friend who loves it as well. We've got been to see previous ones together and he sent me a text a couple of days ago saying, when you go, could you tell me at what point the snakes appear in the film? Because he hates snakes, he's allergic to them or has a psychological reaction. So I'm going to have to watch Jackass forever, but also take a note of roughly the time the snake scenes happen. Sure. There's, I think in the, they're both in the first half hour. Okay, that's good to know. You could just turn up late, couldn't you? Yeah, yeah, well, then you're going to miss so many good bits. I, I assume the first 10 minutes is going to be a spectacular opening, like Jackass 3D. Yeah, yeah, it's Can't very wait. spectacular. Can't wait. Don't look at me like that. I'm <laughs> going to have fun. I'm going to watch Last Year in Marion Bad. Oh, we. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll both have fun. Um, was there anything else that you didn't like about the film? <laughs> I just, uh, the big robot. I didn't like the big robot. Hmm. That annoyed me. I was just like, 
I don't know. It's that it, it all just felt like, what do we do now? Should we make it make a big one, a big giant one? It's like I didn't think that. I don't. Maybe I'm wrong here, but I, I felt like you had the perfect array of ones to have from Terminator Two Future War scenes. Mm. Let's just go with them. We don't need to chuck more stuff in here. Um, but they were. It felt like let's have a big robot because we can pop that in the trailer, trashing through a Seven Eleven. Yeah, I, I don't have any massive problems with the big robot, but yeah, fair enough. I just thought I, I just like that they were all they were over flying ones that dumped like human sized ones to the ground. Yeah, your HKs. Yeah, or they were just they they were human sized ones. That's what I want. What did you think about the swimmy ones? Actually, to be fair, I did quite like the swimmy ones. There you go. For for all those situations where the resistance is having a wash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, the first of our usual questions. Who was the standout performer who we usually call the Michael Parks of the piece, who put in full effort rather than just picking up a paycheck? We've already done it. Yeah. It's Anton Yelchin. Yeah, it's... He's great. He's great in everything he was in. Uh, yeah. A real shame. Mm. Yeah, so good. So, so good. And he he's a Michael being as a teenager yeah he, look, he, look, he looks the part it was, it's, it was a great bit of casting and i would have quite happily seen further sequels with young carl reese growing up in the future nuclear fallout world yeah definitely yeah uh, a real shame um the thing it would have been great is that little like yeah to sort of explore that a little bit where you want to tell these little stories rather than constantly being for like here's the end of the world sort of big thing if you're telling a trilogy, let's build to that. Then let's tell some smaller stories here and there. Yeah. Mm. Did you notice any product placement? Well, the Seven yeah. <laughs> Eleven. I don't know if they paid. Yeah. Um, I can't uh, imagine. I can't. Yeah, it's all sort of future. I guess it's future, but it's sort of a future which they would be using old tech. So I guess that probably some of the computer stuff is probably modern day stuff. Yeah, the, the, I think he hacks in with a Sony Vio, and the, <laughs> the film is distributed by Columbia, which is owned by Sony, so that makes a lot of sense. That does make um, sense. I, I think what the film does quite well is kind of in a, quite a broad sense of product placement is there's a certain degree of consistency between all of these kind of bastard attempts to start a new trilogy of films after Rising Machines in that they all link up to each other quite well. Skynet's always based in San Francisco for some bizarre reason. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the end of this one follows on with Genesis, them breaking into a Skynet facility and being kind of at roughly the same point of where they were at the end of this one. And yeah, with the exception of Dark Fate, which really wants to be a sequel to two, yes. Judgment Day, they, they do kind of still carry on as a series just with a change in cast of faces and the lead roles. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think so. And it is the unusual thing where it does weirdly feel feels more like a horror franchise than a than a traditional, you know, blockbuster franchise. Yeah, I mean, that kind of the, the X Men series, even though it's really made by the same people, almost consistently seems to forget about what happened two films ago quite a lot. Whereas these films, at the very least, very rarely do anything. You go, ah, it doesn't work apart from how well fed people are in yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> i feel like they 
they, they don't do a good job, do they, on casting John Connors? And I... No, they, they, they should always have gone with, is this guy Edward Furlong five, 10, 20 years later? Yeah. Because that's what we always wanted to see. And we should but use even... T2 John, uh, future John Connor as a reference point for like, it's how, do, how would Edward Furlong end up in that sort of scarred, grizzled state? Well, yeah, but I mean, in Salvation, at the very least, it ends with this, the first ever T-800 scratching his face in a way that puts him, so he would look roughly like that. Yes, yes, that's true. Games. But yeah, again, so there's a real attention got into making these films, and yet there's stylistic choices that mean it doesn't do what the fan base wanted to do. Yeah, yeah. But it feels more of an Easter egg, what they're doing. They have sat down and gone, well, yeah, we have to get to that point, or it has to start from this point. Yeah, yeah. Time. It's, yeah. They've put so much effort in into the wrong places. Yeah, you're jumping through the wrong hoops. Yeah. What is the one change you'd make to improve Terminator Salvation? I think it would be, I think it would be McGee. Oh. I'm whispering yeah. that, I'm whispering that because, you know, you don't want to be mean about things and I, 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 I I'm a big well, actually, I actually haven't rewatched them recently they may be very problematic I enjoyed Charlie's Angels and Full Throttle uh, I, yeah I've watched them recently they're great yeah they're, they're, <laughs> they're, they're, they're big silly fun yeah that's what I want McGee to do I don't mm. I don't want him to go in and do a, a portentous serious dark attempt to do future war did you did you see the babysitter that he did for Netflix I think I did actually. Yeah, that was yeah. really fun. Yeah, exactly. That's where that's where he should be aiming for yeah. bubblegum kind of genre films. I didn't uh, know that was him. Is there any director you'd like to see have an attempt at a Terminator film? Yeah, I'd like um, uh, Denis Villeneuve, but I'd like him to do it before he did Dune, before he did Blade Runner. Right. Okay. Because he's he, it would be nice to see him do something original now rather than constantly churning up. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, early 80s sci-fi films. And you know, I watched Dune and I thought to myself, if you like this sort of thing, this is a five-star movie. Mm. But I, and as a huge fan of Denis Villeneuve and thinks that Arrival, along with maybe Moonlight and Inside Out are the three masterpieces of the 2010s. I, I thought that Dune was so dull and I could barely get through it. I, I, I really like Dune, but I think it has problems in that last act. It doesn't it doesn't end at the right point for somebody that wants to end on a cliffhanger. Yeah, I just thought it, it felt weird that every single line of dialogue that anyone said felt like the most important thing anyone had ever said in the universe up until that point. Yeah, they should have had more shouting. Just a bit, a bit more shouting. Just a less slow-mo people, like, you can't see me doing it, but just sort of, like, looking down and then someone says a line of dialogue and then their eyes sort of glance up very slowly and they just gaze at them and then they wait and then they say a line of dialogue and it's so important. So you'd rather a Sicario era yeah. than it's been the new Yeah, yeah, imagine Sicario era, fucking Terminator film set in the future. Oh, yeah. The next question is, where would you cast your secret crush? Um, and I'm going to go with Ariana Richards because I can't remember the surname of the lady you mentioned <laughs> from Born Supremacy. And that was quite a, a complicated relationship you have with that crush. So, yep, so yeah, yeah. go with Ariana Richards. I guess the, there'd have to be a scene where um, she's in a car and that big, big robot is sort of trying to get into the car. 
<laughs> and she's screaming. And she's holding it off just by the, the, the sunroof. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's not quite strong enough to get through the sunroof. <laughs> or it gets sneezed on. It gets sneezed on by one of the big robots. Yeah, just like an oil yeah. <laughs> dispersal. <laughs> it's just our last question. Do I ask this to guess? Yeah, you do ask this to guess. Oh, right, okay. It's our yardstick to measure. It's our yardstick, like. okay. Yeah. So is Terminator Salvation better or worse than Bad Boys? It's far worse. Yeah, that's fair enough. You, you think it's far worse as well? Yeah, yeah, this, uh, yeah, it was painful. Oh my God, are you going to say it was better? Yeah, I, I, to, to be honest, I, 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 I've completely got the vibe in the room. I On this rewatch, it's still not a great Terminator film, but as like a future war army guys battling robots movie, it, the action was great. Uh, I enjoyed Yelchin. It's always nice to see uh, Bryce Dallas Howard. Yeah, I'm. Um, yeah, she looked very nice. <laughs> she, she she had very subtle apocalyptic makeup on. <laughs> yeah, well, she, she had the glow <laughs> no, uh, yeah. and yeah, all the action I enjoyed. The CGI was quite good for a film. I, I'm never a fan of CGI, but this one it didn't have too many stinky shots. Yeah, I, that is quite good of it. I will give you that. I'd put it in mid-tier Terminator rankings, and I'm a fan of the franchise. Yeah, but it was missing a key element, wasn't it? Arnie's dick. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect opportunity for it. Our, our new TV is a little bit brighter than our old TV, and Natalie wants to watch Terminator for exactly that reason. Well, yeah. <laughs> It's like that, but it's like a bonus feature. <laughs> oh, a bonus feature. Yeah. Yeah. Could you think Terminators get bonus? Yes. Probably <laughs> yeah. like an extra impaling, uh, stabbing yeah. Yeah. weapon. Um, hang on. Can we quickly? Can I ask for your rankings of the Bad Boys trilogy? My rankings. Well, more than one. Yeah. Natalie's not going to be able to. Oh, God, I don't know. I'm not watching any more of those. <laughs> she, she only watched Bad Boys begrudgingly. Oh, no, no, I did not watch it begrudgingly. This is the problem. I watched it thinking it was going to be very enjoyable, and it, I hated it. That was the problem. I, I there was another one. I Bad Boys one. I went to see with my dad. And oh wow! We both had like a good father son teenage at a time when you know we were starting to kind of. Big Bear banging against Cub a little bit. <laughs> I'm talking, I'm going, but we had a great night watching Bad Boys as two, two lads out of the town. Uh, but in terms of actual movie entertainment, we know that Bad Boys 2 is off the chain. That's number one. Yep. Bad Boys, very close second. And then way down the bottom, Bad Boys for Life. I was very disappointed. Whoa, I love Bad Boys for Life. I'd go two, three, one. Oof. Well, I, I, I still love you, Stuart Voss. <laughs> <laughs> well, you totally still love me as well. Yeah, I, and I, I didn't even know there was a second one. You just thought it would let one to three. Well, did they call it Bad Boys 3? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> How was I supposed to know? <laughs> um, Stuart, you've got a Twitter handle, don't you? Yeah. You want to get to the nice people at home what it is? You'll never get it out of me. Okay. <laughs> People, if you just search Stuart Laws, yeah, yeah, he's, Stuart he's, Laws. The, he's the most famous one. Yeah, I'm not the one that's got Stuart Laws. That's a, a a great guy who works in production at BBC, who occasionally gets tweets uh, intended for me that he'll forward on. 
Mm. Oh, yeah, that's really nice of him. Yeah, and we actually weirdly have worked together subsequently on um on some BBC shows. He's been like one of the producers or execs or something to sort of do with like the delivery of the show. So it's quite fun having a couple of Stuart Laws is on an email thread. This is a conversation we've had recently. We're thinking of adopting a dog and it's called Bobby and that would cause problems. <laughs> 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 Who's done that shit in the corner? <laughs> <laughs> Not the dog. <laughs> it's Bobby C or Bobby D. <laughs> That's exactly what I said. Bobby <laughs> <laughs> D. Well, Stuart, it's been an absolute pleasure. I hope Thanks you so much for having me. Well, I'm very grateful that you've joined us. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Stuart. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's been lovely, actually, and a, a pleasure to be reminded of um, the worst Terminator film. That's not. It really isn't. It's come from the guy that thinks Bad Boys One is better than Bad Boys Three. Oh, I think I'm. I think I'm very much in the majority on that one. Nah, man. That Bad Boys Three, so good. <laughs> I'll watch it again. It's got that scene, Joe Pants. Yeah, I mean, it's always a pleasure seeing Joe Pants again. I was disappointed Joe Pants didn't turn up in Matrix Resurrections. Yeah, that would have been nice. Which be can nice. we just say? is one of the wildest films I've ever seen. I don't know if I like it, but I also think I loved it. I don't like the Matrix franchise. It's my favourite Matrix film. <laughs> I like it almost as much as I like Terminator Salvation. <laughs> well, that's a good way to end it, isn't it? Yeah, that's, that's it, Dan. Yeah. Thank you very much, Stuart. Thank you. And that's us done. We're out. We're gone. We're clear. We're out. We're clean. <laughs> you never tested his colour blindness. Oh shit, I was gonna I was gonna ask you when the Terminator you see yeah. his vision, what do you see? Um like it's red, isn't it? Yeah. 